Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to connect with me over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com, on Instagram at MyPeaceCorpsStory, and on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story. Additionally, if you listen on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and have yet to leave a review, please do so. Five-star reviews are extremely appreciated, but more than anything, I want to know what you think so I can better serve my audience. And this week, brand new review Special thanks to Deej White. Hopefully I did not pronounce your name after you took the time to leave me a review. But they say, great podcast, five stars. I'm considering joining Peace Corps, and I found this podcast very helpful. When I was listening to the episode with Jacqueline Hizokoli recently, I noticed a considerably a considerable difference in how you do the podcast. I thought the conversation was more free-flowing than it has been on on the recent podcast. Just a thought, keep it going. Well, I'll have to go back, listen to Jacqueline's episode, and figure out what I did better. But thank you for taking the time and leaving that review. On this week's episode of the podcast, I talk with Emily Milsent, who served in Indonesia with her husband from 2016 to 2018 teaching English. They recently got back from their service, but rather than returning to normal American life, she's returning to service and will be getting a position with AmeriCorps. You guys will enjoy her story, so without further ado... This is this is this is this is my my Peace Corps Peace Corps my Peace Corps my Peace Corps story story story. My name is Emily Milsent, and this is my Peace Corps story. Hey, Emily, how are you doing? Hey, good. How are you? Doing well. Uh, we're we're skyping early in the morning, or at least what I guess some people would consider <laughs> early. Uh, I, I don't. So I was very surprised that you were, uh, willing to, to get up and, and have a conversation with me. Uh, maybe that's, uh, a, a, a holdover from your Peace Corps service because you've only been back for uh, a few weeks. You've, uh, COS closed your service two months ago. Uh, but I'm interested to hear about your experience in a country that I've never, never traveled to and don't know a lot about. So for the listeners of the My Peace Corps Story podcast, can you start off and let us know a little bit about Emily and where you served in the Peace Corps? Yes, I am currently in Connecticut. I live in a pretty small town here. Um, I went to school for biology and education, so a trained biology teacher. Um, and then two years ago, two and a half years ago, my husband and I found ourselves teaching English in Indonesia, um, which we have been doing right up until recently. Um, we lived on the island of Java. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Indonesia, that is the main island that has um, the capital. Um, and it's um, one of the most populated islands in the world. And I think it's actually the most. And it's a majority Muslim country, so we got to experience 
that part of their culture as well as um, they just have such a deep culture that was rooted before Islam came. So we kind of got to see this clash and then sometimes a really beautiful mix of these two cultures coming together. Um, yeah, so it's crazy that we're done. Um, yeah, freshly back, <laughs> still adjusting to America. Um, but yeah. <laughs> and so you were on uh, Java, which is the main island, you said densely populated. But what did your community actually look like? Were you kind of in a, a rural environment, uh, a big city? Uh, set the tone for us of your Indonesian experience. Um, so we lived in a city called Lumajang. Um, it's a small city. Um, I, I think most of the volunteers were really in villages, um, called Desas, but we were in, right in like the downtown. Um, but it was very small. We could very easily take like a two minute bike ride and then be in the rice fields. Um, but there was definitely a lot of benefit of being in the city, just in terms of being able to find everything that we needed. Um, so we were a hot spot for nearby volunteers to come visit. Um, yeah. Okay. And as an education volunteer uh, focusing on on English, what did your day-to-day look like? What were your work activities? Was this pretty structured or were you sort of one of those education volunteers that was more doing clubs and outside activities than, you know, the, I guess, nine to five teacher job? Yeah. So I think, I think for us, um, being in Indonesia specifically, uh, we were lucky just because I know downtime can be pretty rough for a lot of volunteers. Um, So it was nice. Everybody did have a set schedule, Um, although times varied amongst different schools. Um, My school, I was at an Islamic boarding school, which is called Pesantren. There, the students go to school all day. Um, the morning portion is like the regular classes, science, math, history, English. Um, and then they have a short break for lunch. And then the entire afternoon is religion. Um, that's where they study the history of Islam. They recite their prayers. They memorize the Quran, things like that. So I was not present for the afternoon portion Um, so my schedule was, uh, well for the, for the regular teachers, their schedule was very short. Mine was longer. Um, I started my work day at 6am. Um, I got to school at 6am and, um, we had a, a speaking class. The principal really wanted me to have this class. Um, for both the middle school and the high school, just to encourage students to practice their speaking, just because the curriculum, the national curriculum, doesn't focus on speaking at all. It's pretty much all grammar. So um, her taking this initiative was pretty rare. I was pretty impressed with her. Um, So I started my day at 6.30. We had a speaking class for the high school students. 
Um, that was about 45 minutes. And then I started my regular classes where I taught seven through 12. I didn't teach all the grades, but, um, yeah, that was my range. Um, so I would teach until about 11, 15. Um, and then I did another speaking class with the middle school and, after that, it was actually during their lunch break, um, because that's the only free time they have. We had, um, I met twice a week with a group of students who um, were going to be study or going to be applying to study in the U.S. Um, so they, they gave up their, their small break uh, to, to meet with me, which was great. Well, I, I guess since you were used to getting up early and starting work at six, it makes a little bit more sense why you were so willing to <laughs> start this interview early in the morning. Yes, they start their days very early there. Um, whether you're a morning person or not, I think while you're in Indonesia, you really don't have much of a choice. Um, you they gotta get, get up, up for the call to prayer. Yep, exactly. So, um, it's with sunrise or before sunrise that they have to get up. Um, so for Indonesia, they got up. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. We were always sleeping, but we could hear the mosque. <laughs> it wasn't. It was like a, a couple blocks from our house. And I'm pretty sure it started at 3.30. Um, it wasn't too loud. It wouldn't wake us up. But if we were like kind of awake, you could, you could hear it. Mm -hmm. um, so we would run in the mornings at around 5 a.m. just because it's so hot and that was really the only time we could run. Um, so we would run early, but it wasn't even like, oh, we're the only ones outside. It was, you know, everybody was outside and like starting their day. Um, yeah, starts early, but it also mm -hmm. ends late. So <laughs> they just, just don't sleep. Yeah, no, they really don't. They don't sleep very much. And since you were working at a boarding school, I take it that the students, they, they stayed there. It's kind of yeah. implied with a boarding school. Right. Uh, were you also living on the, the grounds of the boarding school? No, I was not. We lived with a host family. So I was there with my husband. Um, so he taught at a different school, and we stayed in a house that was about halfway between both of our schools. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I guess let's get into the, you know, the, the stories of your Peace Corps experience. Now we know a little bit about the, the community you were living in, the work that you were doing, uh, the early mornings. Uh, what are some of those, I guess, favorite memories or stories? You know, you've been back in the United States for, for three weeks now. Yeah. And as, you, as you've been catching up with friends and family, do you have a story that you like to go to uh, to of you know share a little bit of your experience one of those ha happy memories um yeah there are really so many <laughs> um it is hard to pick um but i would say one of them it was actually right before we left so this was just a, a few months ago we're talking um me and my students well, let me back up. So when I first got there, um, I br had brought a bunch of Frisbees. My husband and I like to play Ultimate Frisbee. And we brought a bunch of Frisbees with us. And I taught my kids how to play. I taught them all the rules and 
everything about how to play ultimate. And they had never even seen a Frisbee before. Um, and at my school, we have this tiny courtyard, if you will. Uh, it's a mess. There's usually like big piles of dirt because they're always doing more construction. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really a mess and it's so small. But um, we would get like 20 students out in this courtyard and play ultimate and um it was it was it's just been so fun to watch them because they've gotten so good um i'm not i'm not a very good player but i can play and you know by the end um probably even halfway students were surpassing me in that um and it was so this was just a couple of months ago and you know i'm trying to think of fun things for us to do just because our time was coming to a close and the students are like, Oh, can we play Frisbee again? And so I sent my principal a text and asked her if the students could meet at the Alunaloon, which is the town square. And they have a really nice big field. Um, and I was really not expecting her to say yes. And she got back to me and she was like, yeah, sure, they can go. Um, and now this is about a 30 minute walk from our school. And so it was one Sunday evening, all the all the students who could come, it was maybe 15 or 20, um, but they all walked from the school down to the town square. And my husband and I met them there and we were just able to have this huge ultimate game. Um, and it was the first time that they got to play on grass. It was the first time that they got to like practice their long throws. Um, but it was just so fun. And it was really fun to see them in a different setting because they really don't get to leave the boarding school that much. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a great, it was a great memory. <laughs> mm -hmm. Definitely. And it's so interesting that you were able to, you know, introduce Frisbee and, mm -hmm. and share that experience with them. And then were they, I guess, you know, you said they didn't get to leave the, the boarding school. Uh, was, I guess, physical activity or, you know, sort of like a sport, uh, sports like that, was that common in Indonesia? I know you said that you would get up early and you would run. Did, mm -hmm. Was that, you know, out of place? You know, they sell, you know, physical activity is just... You, you work. <laughs> why would you? Right. Why would you? Why, I don't understand, you know, this this exercise thing. So how familiar were the kids with sort of something like this? Yeah. Um, so um, speaking very specifically to my school and what I observed there. Um, so, again, my students have almost no free time. Um, but it was um, on Fridays. There's no class. And that was their one day off a week. And um, they had karate. Um, I'm not even sure who led the class, but um, a lot of the students did karate. And um, they did scout, which isn't even really much physical activity. But it's kind of like a Boy Scouts, but it's huge in Indonesia. Um, so those were only the only organized clubs slash sports that I saw my students do. Um, we didn't have a gym teacher for my first year. And then my second year, they did get a gym teacher. So 
I did see the students doing sprints and um, like stretching and stuff. They would do that out in the courtyard also. But no, I mean, I think as a general thing for my students, at least uh, physical activity was not <laughs> not something that they did very often. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when we ran, we would see the occasional runner. Like I maybe passed a couple runners um, where we would run. But no, not really. There wasn't much um, as in terms of running. But biking is really big. So we would see big groups of bikers riding around um and they do this really funny it's like it's probably like a little mix between zumba and aerobics (laughs) um but really you just like are walking down the street and they have this music blaring and it's just a bunch of like older women um (laughs) very slowly like moving to the music (laughs) I'm like, I, they're probably not even breaking a sweat, doing that, but but they did. <laughs> okay, like it gives me a sense. I I love the fact that there was actually karate at your school. Uh, since yeah, uh, since I uh, I taught karate in my my community as a Peace Corps volunteer, uh, ah. as, yeah, as one of my side projects. So, so somewhat awesome. similar to to you doing, you know, ultimate frisbee. Yeah, did had your students been exposed to karate before? Oh, uh, none at all. I, okay. I in, in, ended up meeting one person who was from Mali that was in my village, and he was actually a yellow belt in the exact same style of karate that I did, uh, which was pretty awesome. Uh, but all, all of my other students know that it was their first time uh, being in a, a structured sport. They all played okay. you know, s- soccer, kicking around uh, an, an old ball you know, in mm-hmm. a field, but n- never anything like that. Oh, that's awesome. You must have been so excited when you found that one student, though. Oh, yeah. It was it was bizarre. I was like, wow, out of all the places in the world, right. I, I run into someone who knows my martial art. That's that's really cool. Those mm-hmm. are like the little things that happen. And you're just like, I don't know. It kind of takes you, makes you step back for a minute and like, just be like, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's like the world is not that big after all. I know, I know. It's really amazing. That's cool. <laughs> well, you also did several, you know, projects and, and different activities uh, with the kids while you're in Indonesia, and you had sent over the, uh, a photo of this really cool uh, United States map, and you were trying to get postcards, uh, which I just think is an, an awesome project. And I, I want the listeners to hear about it, uh, especially for those who are current volunteers or those about to serve as maybe an activity that they could do as well. So can, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your postcard project? Yeah. So um, I haven't had, I guess not anymore. Um, I had an English club and um it really was, it did really well. And, um, the way I kind of like to teach and expose the students was through projects. So, um, both years we had pretty big projects. Um, and the, the first year we did a 50 state postcard challenge. Um, so I had, I didn't have 50 students in my class at the time. I had about 35 and each student had to pick a state. We just had them pick out of a hat. Um, 
that they picked a state and they had to research the state and then make a brochure about it. And then um, we kind of, we took videos and we took a lot of pictures and then we put out a, I don't know, put, put it all out on social media, all forms. And we were requesting people to send us a postcard from their state or a state that they have traveled to or that they were going to travel to. So our goal was to get a postcard from every state. Um, and it took a long time. It, 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 it took a while, but, um, really postcards started pouring in. Um, I think it took maybe a month. It, the mail takes about a month from when people send it to when we receive it. So it took about a month from when we first put it out to receive anything. Our first date was Ohio. So shout out to Ohio. Um, <laughs> and uh, it took us 10 months and it was a lot of it was a lot of work and a lot of posting on social media to keep reminding people. Um, but it was really amazing. And um, yeah, as I said, it took about 10 months. Our last state was Nevada. Um, that one took a, a while. I'm from the East Coast, as I said, Connecticut. And I was like, man, I don't know anybody in Nevada. And it doesn't seem like anyone in my circle does either. Um, but we ended up getting it. And that was really exciting. Um, so what we did is when the postcards came, the student who had researched that state, they got to take up to two postcards. Um, and then the rest of the postcards, uh, went on display in the, we had a nice English room, but it went on display in the room for everybody else to look at. Um, and we ended up getting over 200 postcards. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was it was fun. It was exciting. And and a lot of people in America, it was just an amazing outpouring. And I'm just so thankful and appreciative of the time that people took. Um, this one woman um, in Idaho, she wrote out 30 postcards and sent them all with like brochures and magazines, just all this information about um, about there. And that was really, it was really amazing. Um, and then other people were sending like magnets and pencils and just whatever they could find that represented their state. And all of that got to go to the students. And um, yeah, it was really, really cool. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think it's such a cool project because I, I know I've heard of other people, you know, trying to do like pen pals, set up pen pals for, for people, uh, mm -hmm. that they're English students. And I think that's a little bit more difficult because, you know, you're kind of setting up a, a thing that doesn't have a, an end. Uh, it's, you know, so you, you, and I, maybe people in the United States are like, well, I don't know if I want to be a pen pal. It's back and forth, but this is, you know, just like, all you have to do is send a postcard and it's such a low barrier uh, to entry that then you have people like, well, if I'm sending a postcard, might as well send several postcards and then, well, it's about my state. So then I can do this. <laughs> and it's, then you, you just have this, you know, like the person in Idaho, how the, you have, there's a ton of Indonesian students now that probably uh, want to go visit Idaho and think Idaho is the coolest place. Idaho is pretty cool. 
it's, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, but now you have a bunch of students who know a lot about Idaho. Which yeah. I, I, it just, it's kind of cool. Yeah. It was a really great way to um, just teach them about America, but in a cooler way than me standing in front of them and being like, this is what this state has and this state has this. Um, really, I didn't have to do any of that. You know, this just sparked so much interest. And especially, especially as the postcards came in um, and the magazines and stuff, um, they were able to explore this on their own without, without me having to even do anything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And you have this, this project, which I mean, just absolutely amazing. And I hope uh, there are people who are listening uh, who will uh, decide to do this as well in, in their communities if they're uh, going to be serving and currently serving volunteers. But what are some of the other things that, that you did as well with your English students or uh, other students um, while you were there? You said you had the, the students that were meeting with you over their lunch break, was it twice a week? Uh, they were going to the United States. Like what, what's some of the other activities that you uh, did to, to pass the time? Um, yeah. So again, a lot of my focus was on my English club because that's where I just had full freedom to do whatever I wanted without like the curriculum overhanging or anything. Um so some other projects that we did, we d- did a lot of cooking. Um, my students, and I feel like at a lot of other schools where volunteers were, the students just really wanted to cook. Um, and so we did a lot of cooking. Um, so I introduced, you know, like popular recipes that I think that they would like. Their palate is also different. <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, when we first got to Indonesia, we're like, we're going to cook you all this stuff. And then people would try it and be like, oh, my gosh, that's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we slowly got to know uh, what it was, what kind of tastes and flavors that they would like. And then we would try to expand it a little bit. So they don't really like salty foods. So I totally had to cut back like my salt when I was cooking. Um, and then. Also, things with tomatoes, they thought were sour. Um, So if there were tomatoes in something, they would always add sugar. Hmm. Um, So just me kind of getting used to it. But we did a lot of cooking. Um, We made donuts. And what else did we do? We We did study about other countries. So that was fun. So we did like pizza for Italy. We did crepes for France. Some students made like this special Brazilian drink. Um, we had like food from South Korea. Um, so that was fun. And that was also a really cool way to learn about different cultures, just because I feel like every culture, you know, they're so excited about their food and um, it's also different. So, um, so yeah, my students were always down for, <laughs> for cooking and eating. <laughs> um, but I think, a lot of it had to do with the food at the boarding school too. Uh, they ate the same thing like every day. So, so anytime we could cook, they were, they were all for it. And I, what was that same thing every day that they were eating? Like what, what is, what is Indonesian food cuisine? Yeah. Yeah. You don't really hear much about it. Um, 
So rice, like a lot of Southeast Asian or a lot of the world, really, um, a lot of rice. Um, they do a lot of tempeh and tofu. Are you familiar with those? Do you eat them? Uh, over? Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've had both of them. Uh, okay. I don't care for tempeh as much because it's got that, it's got a almost kind of nutty taste to it, but not really. Yeah. And it's got a little bit of like a funk to it. I don't know. Okay. So you're not, not, not my, not, not my jam. Yeah. Not digging it. Um, I really like tempeh. I'm not a really big fan of tofu, but, um, <laughs> that was the first time I had tempeh was in Indonesia. And, um, yeah, so that was really good. Um, they, they eat meat, but not too much of it. Um, it's very rare that we see red meat. Um, they do chick, some chicken, they'll do goat for like a celebration. Um, fish, they do have a lot of fish. Um, but they don't use ovens there. And so their method of cooking for almost everything is frying. Um, so it's, I definitely wouldn't say that it's healthy um mm-hmm. yeah so so i would eat it for lunch my school made me lunch which was really great um so i would eat it for lunch and then breakfast and dinner my husband and i would cook ourselves and then yeah you said goat and i take it since it is a uh majority or almost 100 percent muslim country uh mm-hmm. how was how celebrating eid while you were there yeah um it's it's really a beautiful holiday. Um, unfortunately, we only were able to spend the, our first one um, with our host family. Um, but what they do uh, is they wake up early, they go to the mosque, and then they go to everyone they know, kind of all their neighbors and their family members. They go to their houses. Really a short visit, but... They knock on the door um, and then they apologize to each other, um, kind of just, I don't know, I, I almost liken it to almost like a new year, how we kind of will start like, okay, a, a new beginning, you know, I, I feel like this is kind of what it's like for them. Um, so they apologize and can kind of start on a new leaf for, you know, the next year and um you go into the house and there's a bunch of snacks and stuff on the table and you just kind of eat a little bit and then move on to the next house. So you do that for a couple hours. Mm-hmm. I always enjoyed celebrating it. And then for those who are listening who aren't familiar with, with Eid, uh, the full name is, I think, Eid al-Adha. Uh, and it's, I guess, a, a remembrance of uh, when... Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. God asked him to make the ultimate sacrifice, and he was about to. And God was like, oh, wow, you're so devoted to me. And then he gave him a a ram to sacrifice, and that's sort of the the festival of sacrifice and celebrated, at least in Burkina Faso, uh, lots of of goats. uh, And I don't know much about the religion of Islam, so I possibly just butchered this festival and story, uh, but at least that's what I remember. Okay. I thought you were talking about Eid al Fitri. Oh, so you're talking about the (laughs) other Eid. Talking about the wrong one. Um, For Eid al-Adha, the one that you were just talking about, um, 
So, yes, that's when they were sacrificing animals. I did not join in that. I, yeah, I, I couldn't watch that, but my husband went both years. He went to his mm-hmm. school. Um, so they did have goats and lamb. They had, um, cows. Yep. And, um, for his school, they went into a field, a big field and, um, yep. You could watch them sacrificing the animals. Um, but that's also a really beautiful holiday, too, because they have all this meat uh, and they're supposed to give like a certain percentage of it to the poor. Um, but it's kind of like in Indonesia, or at least where we were, um, it was like a big time of plenty for meat. Because, as I said before, they didn't really eat a lot of they don't don't really eat a ton of meat. So it, it was definitely special to have that. Mm-hmm. It was funny that we were thinking of two different uh, Eids because uh, they, didn't, they didn't even call them by those the traditional uh, names in, in Burkina it was more they uh, they used a, a local language name for them so yeah I don't I don't yeah. even consider them Eids uh, yeah I know it does get confusing I think in Indonesia they um, they have the same name I'm pretty sure as uh, the original um, but they're spelled differently. Okay. So, um, yeah, Indonesian's very like, yeah, phonetic. If you if you see the letter, then you pronounce it. Um, so yeah, the spelling is different than the the I don't know, true one or the Arabic way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then before we leave the the topic of of food, uh, for my own curiosity. What was the, I guess, the favorite food? You, so you said you tried all these different foods. They didn't like overly salty tomatoes. Mm-hmm. They found more sour. What is something that you you introduced that they they really loved? Um. So so what I found is that younger people, like the younger you got, I feel like the less defined their palate already was so when we would cook dinner at our house um we lived with we had young host sisters there um so they would try everything and they would like it and our neighbor kids would like it and then slowly as we like got older and older people like it um so my students um we did do kind of a pen pal thing with a school and um one of the things we did was exchange recipes and a recipe. We got a recipe for rice crispy treats and my students were like, Oh man, we have to make this. And I was like, okay, I don't know where to find any of these ingredients. <laughs> um, so we tried to make some of the other things that we, so some of the other recipes that we received. And uh, at one point I, I had to go to one of the big cities for, um, a Peace Corps event. And so I hunted down uh, Rice Krispies and marshmallows and butter. <laughs> and uh, we got to go back and make it together. And that, yeah, that was great. They loved that. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's always uh, the sweet things. They tend to go over pretty well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was good. Um, my host mom, we did make a tomato sauce that was sweet. It's a a special recipe from my family. Um, but it does have sugar and like cinnamon in it. And 
So it was like a little bit on the sweeter side. And she loved it. Every time I would make it, she was like, can I have some? (laughs) Yeah. Well, we've heard a lot about your service, which sounds absolutely amazing, extremely fulfilling. But let's shift a little bit. And do you have one of the, a, a story of a time that was more difficult for you? Something that you struggled with or just one of those stories that was maybe difficult at the time, but then looking back uh, is now hilarious? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So my husband and I did get sick quite a bit. Um so there were some hospital visits and, and stuff. So those are those are always really rough times, especially being away from home and like what you're comfortable with. So being sick is is never fun. Um, but, you know, luckily we're all good now. Um, but yes, there were there were often <laughs> times when I was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. Um, but it's like one of those events that happen and you you can either get like really upset or angry or you can just laugh. And often it was just like, how is this even happening? But it it was just really almost comical. Um, So public transportation in Indonesia is not my favorite. Um, (laughs) I think now the minute I get into like a bus or on a train, I, I think I'm awake for like two minutes. And then I pass out and I'm like telling my husband, I'm like, I think this is my defense mechanism. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's how I'm, it's how I'm coping with this. So we would go on like eight hour bus rides and I'd wake up right before we landed or right before we got there. And I'm like, oh, wow, that was nice. <laughs> um, but actually this past Christmas, we were going to visit some friends at their site, which is on an island um, right north of Java, but it's connected by a bridge. Um, It's called Madura, for those of you who know. Um, But we were going to visit them. There were, it was me and my husband and one of our friends, and we were going to take a train to the city, and we would get there at like 1 a.m. And um, we were told that the best way to get to their house was to take Um, a travel, which is just hiring a car, but, um, it's, it's like they have a pickup destination and then a drop-off destination and then they'll fill up all the seats, but it's faster than a bus usually. Um, so we all, you know, we reserved our seats. Um, it was 1am again and, uh, and the driver comes, there's other people in the car, but there are some empty seats and, I don't know. He was like, if you want to put your bags on the other seats, then you're going to have to pay for them. I'm like, no, we don't. That's not how this works. Um, he wasn't giving up though. And so we were like, okay, well, we're not going to pay for them. So we just put all of our, all of these bags on our laps. Um, I mean, there was no room at all in the backseat. Um, and we were like, it's okay. It's only about a three-hour car ride to get to their, our friend's site. Um, so we're driving. It's like 2 a.m. And our driver starts falling asleep. I am wide awake staring at him in his rearview mirror, like watching his eyes start to close. And um, 
my Indonesian isn't that great, the language. Um, but I'm like, so where are you from? Uh, and he was like, just giving me one word answers, obviously very tired. Um, but I'm trying to keep him awake. And I just was praying. I was like, God, please get us there safely. Like whatever you need to do. And about five minutes later, the road was closed. And I was like, okay, that's okay. We can sit here. We'll let the driver sleep for a little bit. It's going to be okay. Um, so he, he did doze off for a little bit. And then, you know, like one hour turns into two, it turns into three, the sun starts coming up and we're like, when is this road going to open? Um, we sat on the side of the road for almost eight hours. There was just like, I mean, the, the traffic was just totally built up. Um, we like spread a blanket on the side of the road. And at this point, this is when we were like, just laughing because it was like, how does this happen? Um, yeah, it was, it was crazy. And, uh, we were talking to a policeman. We're like, so when's the road going to open? He's like, I don't know, maybe at 10 AM, maybe at 11. (laughs) And, uh, at that point we were like, maybe we should just not go at all. Um, when we talked to the driver, we were like, please, is there another road that you can take? Um, the the short answer is yes, there is another road, but it's not a good one. Um, there's a road on the south, which we were on, and then there's one road that goes north on the island. Um, but we eventually convinced him to to turn around, pretty much drive all the way back to the city where we were, and then and then drive north. But the three hour car ride turned into thirteen with Ooh. all of our bags. <laughs> piled piled high um it was rough that was rough but we ended up having like the best christmas ever um after that so it was it ended up being worth it Mm -hmm. yeah well while volunteers serve all around the world there are two things that are pretty much consistent uh illness usually intestinal (laughs) (laughs) And horrible transportation. Uh, so yeah. you you touched on both of those a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are rough. They really are. And that's like, you can be so strong, you know, being there. And then something like that happens. And you're just like, oh, my gosh, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. Um, but we made it. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you've only been back in the U.S. for a few weeks and I know that sometimes it takes takes a little bit to to process your Peace Corps experience, um, but just in you know the the two months since leaving, <clears throat> do you have anything that you feel that you you really learned or took away from your your time in Indonesia? Yeah, um, I feel like I didn't even really realize that I had learned this, I think, until being back. And I know it's been so short, but just talking with people and being around people in America, um, I feel like I've just learned how important it is to be giving of your time. Um, You know, in Indonesia, people work, I mean, they work 
all the time, more, way more than 40 hours a week. I mean, they're working multiple jobs. They're, you know, working all day. They're waking up early, but they always have time to sit down with you and have coffee and just be together. Um, and, you know, since being home, I think one of my struggles is just how we view time in America, you know, like everyone values their time so much. And I think as a result, sometimes people aren't as willing to be giving of it. Um, and, and yeah, so I think for me, just kind of being able to step back and kind of see what kids are and just taking the time to sit with people, I think can be so important. Um, because that was, that was what helped us in Indonesia, you know, making relationships and meeting people there and them taking the time to just be together. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's kind of fitting that you are, are starting a, a new job, a new role in a week, but it is a continuation of, of serving, uh, do you want to let us know what your your next adventure is? Um, yes. So just finished Peace Corps, now going into AmeriCorps. <laughs> um, so I will be also teaching. It's in the education sect again. Um, it's right in Connecticut, and it's... At, with an organization called New England Science and Sailing. And what they do is they really focus on STEM, um, which is science, technology, engineering, and math. So they'll put me in a local school. Um, I think I'll be at either a middle school or a high school. Um, I will be teaching STEM, but the main focus is marine biology. So this organization and the schools the town. Um, it's right on the coast and they're very close to the ocean. So, um, so the goal is to, to get the students out as much as possible down to the ocean, um, doing experiments and, you know, making observations, but then they also do like kayaking and sailing. So I'm pretty excited. <laughs> um, I got my schedule for the, for next week. So so for, I'll have a month of training and uh, my schedule for the next week is like four hours of kayaking and four hours <laughs> of sailing uh, practice. It <laughs> oh, sounds so rough. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is going to be a really difficult month. But <laughs> yeah, I'm excited, though. Well, uh, c congrats on the next opportunity. And hopefully it goes absolutely amazing. I'm a little jealous of you uh not not gonna lie <laughs> yeah we're excited well uh i've enjoyed talking with you learning a little bit about your experience in indonesia before we close out the show is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners of the my peace core story podcast um yeah i do have one more thing um so just since being back, um, we've heard talk within our town about something new coming. And again, I'm in Connecticut. I'm in a very small town. There's about like 
8,000 people, mostly farms. Um, and right down the road from my house, they are actually building an Indonesian Islamic boarding school. Um, <laughs> yeah, so crazy. Um, we had heard a little talk while we were in Indonesia, but there really wasn't much information available when we were looking. And, um, so just the other day, my husband and I drove down to this big piece of land where we heard it was going to be built. And we actually got to meet the guy who's building this. He's, he is Indonesian, but he's been in America for over 20 years and, he lives in New York and he, yeah, he wants to build, build this school and he wanted it to be outside of New York city. Um, and I guess just found this piece of land. Um, so just, I don't know. And I've talked to so many other volunteers who are home now and, and I had never met an Indonesian person in America that I know of before I went, I didn't know anything about Indonesia, but all of us have just such crazy stories about how we've been able to use our experience, even our language, um, just within our own communities. It's been really amazing. Um, so we're excited to get involved with this school. It's just in the beginning process of uh, being built, but the the guy has already already been in contact with us, and he's like, "I'm bringing a bunch of students to your town." Um, can you and your husband be tour guides? Um, can you teach them English? Which is like, you know, the same thing that we were just doing two months ago, except for on the other side of the world. So, wow. I mean, what a, what a crazy coincidence. And then, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, I mean, it, it's one thing to, you know, maybe run into an Indonesian, uh, yeah. But the fact that, you know, you were just working in an Indonesian boarding school and one more or less followed you back home uh, yeah. just <laughs> down, down the street from you uh, because, you know, I, I, I seek out opportunities to engage with, you know, people from, from Africa, uh, whenever I'm in a, get in an Uber and I, you know, I hear them speaking like, Oh, where, where are you from? Mm -hmm. Uh, to, you know, to the driver and hopefully they're from French speaking West Africa. So I have an opportunity to practice the language and, but to, to have this connection and, and this chance to still stay connected to your community and, and be involved. Uh, I mean, that, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, it really is. And one of the things that before we came home, we were just a little anxious about coming back because we were like, man, you know, we're coming back to the same town, to the same place. We were feeling a little unsettled about that. Not really sure how, how we would feel kind of coming back to exactly where we were before we did Peace Corps. Um, but man, yeah, once we went down and met this this guy, I was like, okay, this is exactly where we're supposed to be, at least at this point in time. Um, so it's really amazing. We're going in, a, in one week, we'll be going back down. They're having a big celebration and they're cooking a bunch of Indonesian food and, and we'll be able to meet a lot more people. So I know we're very, very lucky that, that this has happened and we're really excited. Yeah, as you should be. Well, thank you for taking some time this morning uh, 
being willing to to get on a Skype call with me and talk about your service. Uh, to close out the episode, do you have a favorite quote or local saying that you would like to share? Yes, I do. So um, I'll say it in Indonesian. Um, it's um, kalau belum makan nasi, belum makan. And what that is, is if you haven't eaten rice yet, then you haven't eaten. <laughs> so uh, just a quick synopsis of what that is. It's um, they really do eat rice with every meal. And so if if they haven't had rice with that, then then they're like, oh, it wasn't actually a meal. Um, and so there was a few times when my husband and I would cook and they're like, OK, thanks for this meal. I got to go home and eat rice now. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, that was our favorite. <laughs> so, so as you were cooking these different cuisines, did you start to incorporating some rice in there just so they could feel um, that they yeah. had truly, truly eaten? We we did. Um, we would always have a big pot of rice on the side, but then actually, right at the end, it was our the last time we cooked for for our teachers and some of our neighbors, and we made um, lasagna. We made tons of lasagna, and then. We had this huge vat of rice, and not one person touched the rice. <laughs> I was like, okay, now what do we do? But yeah, so I was like, I would like to think we've affected them in some way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, from hearing everything uh, that you did, uh, I can I definitely believe that you uh, affected them and impacted them. Thank you for taking some time and sharing your stories, your experience, and I wish you the the best of luck as you uh, continue serving in a in a different way uh, in your back home uh, in Connecticut. Yes, thanks, and thank you for taking the time to let me share it. And there you have it, another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and as I said in the beginning, if you haven't done so, leave a review for me on Apple Podcast. I always say it at the very beginning of the episode, uh, but if you're like me, uh, when you listen to a podcast, I tend to forget all that stuff at the beginning by the time I get to the end, so you are right at the end. Uh, before another episode starts or another podcast or you go on to doing something else rather than listening to me while folding your laundry, leave a review on Apple Podcast or iTunes for me. It would be greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. And until next time, remember, every volunteer has a story. What's yours?